You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. So, quite a week, right? You guys... uh... You're with me on that. I, it's, um, yeah, it, was, uh, it was an interesting week for me. I had uh, two uh, national meetings. I'm on two national boards. Uh, one GCC, that's the group that we're part of, and then uh, uh, the Gospel Coalition Canada. And uh, one of the things that, that I think was the biggest takeaway, and I want to share with you guys uh, today, would be that uh, God is building His church. And, and COVID is, is actually seemingly helping that. Um, the churches that uh, are represented at each of those groups, uh, they were talking about the fact that during this season, their churches are growing. Like, we would think it would be kind of the opposite, but, but what God is doing is He's strengthening His church uh, through this, and he's, um, and he's adding to it. And so I just want to encourage you guys with that, because I think sometimes if we just are watching the news, and it's like, ah, you know, like, I don't think nobody's signing up for this for 2021. Like, we're like, Let's just leave it here. I get that. But at the same time, let's remember that he is on his throne still, and he's doing a good thing. And so let's keep our eyes on him during this time. I just want to encourage you with that. Um, Joel mentioned uh, earlier that there's this has been a week of loss. Um, Pastor Michael and Jessica left for um, Oregon on Monday, and uh, uh, Jessica's mom was not doing well. And uh, on Wednesday, so all the dates are kind of going together here for me. But I, th- I believe it was on um, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night, she hemorrhaged uh, really bad. She'd had a stroke, and she was on blood thinners, and she hemorrhaged bad. Um, the, the praise was that they were able to then go into the room. Of course, with COVID restrictions, it's been so tight. And so they were able to go into the room, and they, they knew that she could hear her by by grunts so they knew that she knew she was there they were there and so jessica was able to give her the gospel one more time so we're just praying for them um on friday she she uh, passed away late friday night so they're in seattle now so just keep praying for them guys um love those guys so much such a blessing for our church family so let's just be praying for them and uh, Griffiths uh, also lost a loved one on Friday. And uh, the Gouliette family uh, just over a week ago did as well. So just a, a tough season for many in our church family. And uh, so let me, just, uh, let me just go to prayer first, uh, and then we're going to get into the text this morning. God, we thank you for this time together. <clears throat> Lord, we do thank you that you're on your throne. And uh, Lord, that one day soon you're going to make... Uh, all things right. One day soon, there will be no more death. There will be no more sin. But Lord, until that time, Lord, would you, um, would you strengthen your people? Would you give them grace during these difficult days? God, would you draw them to you, Lord, as we see you doing over and over again? God, I, I just countless stories over this last nine months of, Lord, you caring for your people in little ways and in big ways. God, I I just see your faithfulness again and again. And Lord, as we think about what it says in Lamentations, Lord, truly, your mercies are new every morning. 
God is your people. Help us to see that. Help us to look to that. And um, even in these, these uncertain days uh, that we face, Lord, we, we just pray that you'd help us to, to trust you. Help us to keep our eyes on you through this time. And, and God, we think of our brothers and sisters right now who are having a difficult time uh, because of loss. Lord, we think of um, Jessica and Michael and, um, and the Jessica's family. God, would you just comfort them during this time? Lord, we pray that the, just the fact that Michael and Jessica are in you, that they're your children, would just really shine forth at this time. Um, Jessica's family does not know you, but God, we're trusting that one day they would. And um, Lord, we're, we're, we're just praying that, Lord, you would just lead and guide them through this time. Lord, fill them with your spirit and, and give them the words to say uh, through these difficult days. Lord, we thank you for the Griffith family as well, and, and um, thank you that Laura's dad knew you, was a faithful man of God, and, and, uh, and yet, Lord, at the same time, Lord, it's hard. And Lord, we think of what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, that we mourn, but we do so with hope. And so, Lord, as they mourn the loss of, of her father and Michael's grandpa, God, we just pray for comfort for the family, pray for wisdom as to how to mourn during these days that are different than we've faced. Lord, as well, we, we do think of the Gilead family and, and uh, Jim and, and his family in Elk Point. We, we do pray for continued comfort for them, Lord, as they uh, mourn the loss of Jim's daughter and, and, and Courtney's sister. And God, we thank you that your presence is with them. And God, we're asking again that, Lord, you just bring yourself glory and honor through these hard times. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is so good. Um, Lord, it guides us. It is the rock for us in these hard days. And as we study it now, God, we just pray that you would lead us and guide us. Lord, we, we're not sufficient to understand these things on our own, but Lord, through the power of your Spirit that you've given each one of us who have called upon you, God, we pray that you would help us to be better worshipers as we leave here this morning than when we came in. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to give a, a welcome to people joining us online uh, this morning as well and uh, recognize that uh, for a variety of reasons, you may not be able to be here today. Uh, but I also want to say, if you, if you have been joining us and uh, maybe we're not aware of that, would you just let us know that maybe by leaving a comment uh, on whatever, you're, whatever media you're using right now? Or, or if you have a question and you want to know more, just uh, send that to ad, ad, admin at redemptioncalgarynorth.ca. So, um, well, we're in the gospel, uh, or sorry, in the gospel of Rome, uh, Romans, kind of, <laughs> gets all about the gospel, uh, and, and we've been looking at, uh, for the chapter two, gospel necessity, uh, part of chapter one was gospel necessity, and now we're moving into what I'm going to call gospel clarity in chapter three. And as you look at Paul, it's such a well-written letter, he's, he's been making a point that, that Everyone needs the gospel. Hey, hey, Jewish people, you too, right? Not just the Gentiles, you guys do too. And he's been making this point. And now it's almost like this courtroom where there's these closing arguments. And the defense is like, well, what about this? And what about that? And, and so Paul's going to answer those questions, uh, modeling to us how we uh, ought to answer questions. And in fact, probably it was through asking questions that you came to faith in the first place right? Like, like somebody told you the gospel and you're like, mm, 
I don't know if I believe it, right? That's, that was your, probably your first impression, and then you started asking questions. Sometimes you ask questions like gotcha questions, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this to them, and that they're not going to know what to do with it. And if there's going to be any converting happening, it's actually they're going to become like me rather than me becoming like them. And, and I, I went online, and the, there was some gotcha questions uh, out there. Let me just, I'll say a few of them to you, and, and maybe you've heard some of these. If God is omnipotent, that means all-powerful, why did he take six days to create everything? Why not speak everything to existence all at once? <sighs> Got me. I didn't mean just, right? Like that's the, it's a gotcha question. Why did God make Noah build a Titanic-sized boat when God has simply spoken a boat into existence? If God is so good, why does he put us all to death? Why was Jesus' death on the cross the only way sins could be forgiven? If God were all perfect and all powerful, why would he do such a poor job and create such an imperfect world with his deadly earthquakes, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, etc.? Why did he do all that? If you were asked those questions, would you be ready with an answer? Now, we need clarity. We need to understand what this book says. And we ought not to be intimidated by these questions. There are, is, there, are quest, there are answers for every one of those in God's Word. Sometimes, sometimes, there may be a question about God where we're not really quite sure of the answer. Is that, is that possible? Does everyone got like everything down 100% about who God's, God is? Like, I totally, 100% understand everything about God. Anyone here? Like, like, listen to this quote by Spurgeon. I thought this was really good. As well might a gnat seek to drink in the ocean as a finite creature to con- comprehend the eternal God. A God whom we could understand would be no God. If we could grasp him, he could not be infinite. If we could understand him, he could not be divine. There is a sense where there are some things that are just going to have to be like, maybe in about a million years from now, I'll understand that better, right? Because that's what's going to happen. Like all of eternity, we're going to be growing in our understanding of this immense, incredible God. But his word that he's given us is really sufficient for a whole lot of answers that people have. And for the greatest questions, like why do people die? What is the answer to that? It's a three-letter word, begins with S. Anyone know that? It's sin, right? Like you'd be like, great question. Sin. When sin came into the world, so then did death. Oh, and by the way, so did tornadoes, and so did, and like there's this verse in Romans 8 that talks about the whole creation groaning, waiting to be renewed when the Savior comes. Like there's answers for all of these questions, right? And I want to encourage you that if we uh, are devoted to the Lord, that we can have answers for these kinds of questions. And so there's different questions that the Jewish people are now going to throw at Paul, gotcha kind of questions that they feel like, okay, now what are you going to do with that, Paul? We're going to shut you down, and we're going to be shown to be right. But Paul 
as he's led by the Spirit, he's going to answer these questions. Now, just to kind of give us the context before we get into Romans 3, I believe that questions that he's answering are questions that he's had continually. And, oh, by the way, maybe some of the questions that he had come up with himself as a Jewish man beforehand, that, that he was trying to refute Christianity before, before he came to faith. So these questions, I don't think they're just kind of like random, out-of-the-sky kind of questions. I think they're questions that he actually had. So let's look at it together. Romans chapter 3, look at your app or your Bible, whatever you have here today. But Romans 3, we're going to read the verses together and then we're going to break it down. I was really encouraged when I knew I had a crazy week to start with that this is one of the hardest difficult texts to understand in the entire book of Romans. I was like, oh great, this is going to be good. So, uh, but it, it is good. It is awesome if, if we just take the time to study and understand together. And so let me read it. Uh, verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone be, were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. So three questions to give greater gospel clarity this morning. The first is this, am I clear on God's revealed truth? Am I clear on God's revealed truth? Are you clear about what God's Word says? Is that, could you answer yes to that this morning? So he begins by saying, then what advantage has the Jew? Now again, context matters all the time. He's just finished saying, Gentiles are going to be condemned. Oh, and by the way, Jews will be condemned for their sin. And he has just said in the previous two verses, Romans 2, 28 and 29, for no one is a Jew who is one merely, merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so the question then is like, so then what's the point? Why be a Jew? What's, what advantage was there to being Jewish? I thought this was like a really big deal that God went and he chose Abraham and made a nation out of them. What are you saying? Like, what's, what advantage did we have then if, if this Gentile over in here could become circumcised without being a, a Jew? Then what advantage was there? Now, this, these eight verses, it's just like he's like bam, 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 bam with his answers. Chapters 9 through 11, which we're going to take about three months to study, he's going he's to answer this in a whole lot more depth, okay? 
but he's just going to touch on it right now. And, and then later, we're going to see, he's going to bring up a question that he's going to deal with like in chapter 6, almost the entire chapter of chapter 6. So if you're kind of feeling like, I feel like I need more, read ahead. Okay? Because that's where the answers are. Chapter 9 through 11, he's going to really uh, uh, bring this out. But he wants, to, he wants to show them what the advantage is. Now, we, we might say, you and I might have come to the conclusion, it's like, there is no advantage. Right? Now, that's 2,000 years later, as a Gentile, you'd be like, yeah, it's through Jesus. That's the only way you get saved. But he's saying, no, there is an advantage. Let me show you what the advantage of, of being a Jew was, what the value of, of, of having that symbol of circumcision was. Much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, he says to begin with, again, as I alluded to, chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, he's going to give a bigger list than this, but he begins by saying, listen, you have the Word of God. Anyone of you um, grew up in a Christian home? Anyone here? Like, that's a lot of people. Like, how many not? Maybe that's more helpful. Okay? Like, quite significant, the difference. Growing up in a Christian home, does that guarantee that I'm going to walk in faith and I'm going to be a Christian? Does not guarantee it. Not growing up in a Christian home, does that guarantee that I'm going to be condemned? Does not guarantee it. But there is an advantage. And that's his point here. There is an advantage. Even, even it was at one time, there was an advantage to growing up in Canada versus Nepal, right? Like you would have a sense of what the Bible was, what Judeo-Christian values were. Um, whereas in Nepal, you, you grew up in a culture of Hinduism. Like, so there, there is advantages. It's, the question is, what are you going to do with the advantage? And he points out, listen, you have been given the oracles of God. Now, not crazy about using that word oracle because it's like, is that Star Wars? Is this like, what is, like, like when you look at like your definition of oracle, it's like you talk about mediums and all that kind of stuff. It's a divine word. And, and NIV just simply says it's the words of God. Here's the advantage. You were given the words of God. The Gentiles, they didn't have that. You, you were given the Old Testament. You were given the Scriptures. Like, that's a huge advantage over the person who does not have that. The problem was what you did with it. Like, what advantage did you have growing up in a Christian home where the Bible was taught, where you were, you were kind of taught, like, this is how we live our lives based on the Word of God? You think about an unbelieving home, like, we live this way because I said so, right? These are the house rules, or maybe you had no rules. You're kind of trying to figure it out as you went. Like, like huge advantage growing up in a Christian home. But what do you do with the Bible? It's like, there's a few younger people in here. Like, the 11 o'clock is like the, like the teenage service. I was joking about that last week. Like, the, they're like, we're not going to church till later, right? We gotta, right? We gotta sleep. But, but, like, I see a few of you guys out here, you know, like, and, and maybe, maybe even as an adult, like, what have you done with this treasure called the Word of God? I, I was thinking about this, wrong ways that we read the Word of God. Self-help book. Oh, I got problems with anger. I'm going to flip to the end of the Bible, look at anger, okay? Now, I'm going to 
read about that now. And okay, that's how it, so it's my self-help book. I'm going to use it to correct the things that I want to change about my own life. Not really the way it was written. Uh, what about a recipe book? Here's the five steps. There's no books out here like this, is there, in Christian world? Five steps to what, like, right? Five steps to this and seven steps to that and what, you like, but that's not really the way it was written. What, what, about, what about this one? A, a, an encyclopedia. Some, some helpful knowledge, you know? So I, I know it. I understand it. I know all about Jesus and Moses and you know, like that's, that can be, like you've grown up in the church, you can have a whole lot of knowledge and you can name off names. You're like, yeah, I know exactly who that is. But it's just knowledge. You never really do anything with it beyond that other than think that you're better than someone else because they don't know it. Some people look at the Bible like fables, fantasy, a lot of great stories. I love that one with the whale. What a great story that was. Right? Like, that, that's how they, but there's not, like, nothing to do with, like, life. It's just like, 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 like a fable. There's a good lesson there. But these things didn't really happen. Well, they did happen. They happened in historical fact. They are, they, they, this is God's working through his people. And maybe one last one that people do, and I, I only bring these up because I've seen it. <laughs> like, there's probably other ones, but how about, how about using the Bible like this? Okay, there's my verse for the day, right? What, that's like fortune cookie Bible reading, right? And, and, and like how crazy is that? But a lot of people do that. Now, what is the right way? Like God has given us this treasure, and he's, he's saying that to the Jews, like you had this treasure, but you didn't use it. Well, the, the way to use it, first of all, is grasp what it says. Understand what this book is about. Genesis 1 and 2 this is how we all got here. God created us. He made us. All that we see, the glories of creation as we drove here today, like the, the, depending on what time you came, like, but the beautiful sunrise and like all that incredible beauty, it's all from him. But then there was like this huge problem in Genesis 3. Sin comes into the world. And from really from Genesis 3 to Revelation 19, it's about how are we going to deal with the sin problem. And all the Old Testament is pointing to the fact that we need someone to come and save us. And, and then you get to the Gospels and, and there we're told that this one to come is Jesus. He's the one who would come and help us with our sin problem. And then the rest of the Bible up to that point, up, up to Revelation is saying, so then this is how we're to live now based on the Gospel based on what God has done on our behalf. And then you get to the book of Revelation. It's like, and I'm coming back. And I'm going to judge all sin. And, and then at the end, it's going to be like the beginning. There'll be no more sin and, and no more death. And it's going to be this incredible place where we will be in his presence, just as they were in Genesis 1 and 2. Like that's how the book's put together. And, and, and then, so then we understand, okay, it's about a plan of redemption. It's, a, it's about, like, I need to study this book. I need to grasp it. Not just facts and figures and, as I've been talking about, the Bible quiz off kind of stuff, but, like, what are the implications? When I understand these things, what are the implications for that in regards to COVID? Like, that's not something we thought about in 2019. But guess what? 
the word is sufficient to help us, to guide us in 2020 and, and dealing with what we're dealing with. It, it, there's nothing that the world can come up with. They're like, oh, I don't know. I don't like, what, what, what am I supposed to do? It's in here. So we need to grasp it. Then we need to guard it. We need to guard the truth that's in here. Twist, 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 twist. As I was talking to these different guys this last week, part of denominations where they're like, yeah, I think we're going to have to get off the ramp here. Because they're not living by what God's Word says anymore. They're twisting it to match culture. So we need to guard what God's truth says. We're going to see Paul doing that here. Where they're making these slanderous accusations. He's like, no, not at all. That's not true. And so we need to guard God's truth. But you've got to know it. You've got to grasp it in order to guard it. And then the last thing, we, we want to give it. We want to give it. Like, this is how the word should, it's not just for us. It is for a lost and dying world. So many people lost without hope, and we have the answer. We know the whole story from beginning to end. And in our place in history, that, that, that Christ has come, but he's coming back. And are we ready to meet him? He is the way, the truth, and the life, it is something we want to continue to give. So are we clear on God's Word? Of course, the Great Commission is go and make disciples. It is ultimately to say, take what you know of me and pass it on to the next person and to the next person and to the next person. That's that's the job. That's our responsibility as his followers. So, can I just encourage you? I'm not sure where you're at with your Bible reading these days. Today's a new day, right? So if it's not going well, today's a new day. What's the plan? Tell someone the plan and then work the plan, okay? Like, accountability is kind of really helpful, right? If it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm really going to do that next week, next week. We just keep putting it off. No, it's like, okay, uh, to get to now, today, right? And we're going to study it together. So, and devotion too, right? Not, not just a little bit like a, again, just like that kind of, kind of Bible reading, but like studying it because it's important. So we have a great advantage. Let's not miss that. Secondly, am I clear on God's righteous character? Am I clear on righteous character? So, so they're like, okay, well, he's given us his word, but what if some are unfaithful? We know what the word of God says. The word of God says that he's made a covenant with us, that we are his people, and, and, and that he will lead us into salvation. So what if some people are unfaithful? What about that? Gotcha, Paul. Gotcha. Well, it's not really a gotcha question for him because he understands the whole truth of God's word. Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? In other words, because people are not being saved, as you just told us, Paul, if people are not being saved, then I guess God's not faithful. He, he's not fulfilling his end either then, right? Not true. Not true. Stott says this about this phrase. It might be rendered as follows, uh, as follows. If some 
to whom God promises were entrusted did not respond to them in trust, will their trust, lack of trust destroy God's trust, trustworthiness? If God's people are unfaithful, does that necessarily mean that he is? I mean, this is the whole point of chapters 9 through 11. He's going to unfold that to them in, in, in such a deeper way. But in here, he's saying, listen, God is faithful. In fact, if they would look back on their history, they would see God's faithfulness over and over and over again to them, despite their sin. But they like to kind of have that like narrow thinking of just looking at all the good things, forgetting about God's judgment, forgetting that his righteous character demands that they be judged for their sin. So they've, they have been unfaithful. They've been unfaithful to the word that God has given them, and they've been unfaithful to the fact that they've rejected Jesus as their Savior. Now, Paul understands, like, this, this is one of those phrases where it's like, how do, you, how do you describe it? So they're like, so God's unfaithful? How does he answer? By no means. But it, it, it could be said, like, not on your life. Not in a thousand years. Are you crazy? Like, like, like think about, like, something like, he's, he's just like, he wants him to understand, like, the moment you say that our God is unfaithful, like he loses it a little bit. That's a good model for us. Like when people taint the character of God, that should get you passionate, right? Now you're compassionate to the person who's an unbeliever and you're working on them, but you make clear that what they've just said is untrue. If, if they're saying that God is unfaithful, no, he is faithful. The thought to him is absurd, that God would be unfaithful. God would never break his covenant, ever. He, when he promises something, he, he fulfills it every time. That's a good word for us this morning, right? Every time God says, I'm going to do something, he will do it. He says like this, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Like God's not like us when it comes to influence, Right? You hang out with a bunch of liars, what's going to happen to you? You're probably going to start lying a whole lot. With God, the whole world could be liars. It doesn't change his character. God is unchanging in his character. God says something, he's going to do it. When he promises to do something, he will do it. Because he is the very definition of truth. There is no deceit in him. Can you imagine if there was? Like how messed up would that be? Right? I don't know. What, what's he going to say today? Like that's not our God. Like when he says something, it is like you can take it to the bank every time. So he is not unfaithful. He is faithful. He is the very definition of truth. And by the way, as he's going to point out later in Romans 9 through 11, Israel will be saved. He promised that they will be saved. And there's a whole lot of promises in the Old Testament that are yet to be fulfilled. 
There's a little chunk of land still called Israel today that's a reminder that God is faithful to His promises. Again and again and again. They're still walking in rebellion against Him today. If you went to Israel right now, it's not like, oh, these are God's people. By name only, right? By name only. But there's coming a day, Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah 12.10. I encourage you to write these things down and just, this is part of our study. Hey, can I just say, when you come, maybe you're newer here, and you're like, I don't know how much longer I can take this guy's preaching. I get it. understand that. But one thing that would be helpful is to get a pen and paper out or, or use your app, whatever, to write down notes and study for yourself. I remember, I remember the first time we started going to MacArthur's church. I was not used to those kinds of sermons, right? I was used to like 20, 25 minutes, let's get out of here. That was a nice thought, let's go. So like an hour, like, oh, man, this guy, like, he's going all over the Bible. Like, what's the deal? Here was the answer. Right, I got a pen and paper. I started writing down. I, the Lord grew us so much in those three years of being going to church there. So I just want to encourage you. Pen and paper, app, whatever. Second, second sorry, back into it. Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah 12.10 says this. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that they, when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Your hardened hearts, I'm going to take your hardened hearts when I return and you see me, I'm going to change your heart and you're going to weep over me. And it says then in Zechariah 13:1, and on that day there will be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. That day is coming for the nation of Israel, for the people of God. But it's not here yet. God is faithful to his covenant over and over again. But your unfaithfulness does not negate God's faithfulness. Again, as I mentioned earlier, his faithfulness was evident to them over and over and over again. One of the verses I thought about that I used to butcher pretty good, Jeremiah 29, right? They are... They are in Jeremiah 29, the people of Israel are not in Israel anymore. They are in Babylon. They're in exile because they continue to rebel against him. But then he says in Jeremiah 29, 11, listen, I have plans for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. You're not going to be in Babylon forever. You're going to go back to the promised land. In about 70 years, I'm going to take you back there. Then you will come, come and call upon me. And I will hear you when, when you seek me with all your heart. Always about God desiring our hearts. It's not about rote. He's not about outside religion. He's about our focus on him. And then Paul, as a good apologist, uses the trump card. He uses a quote from their favorite king, King David. Right? You don't believe me? You don't believe me that our God is faithful and that he is right when he judges sin. That he brings cursing when you sin and not just blessing. Well, listen to what he says here. That you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. This quote is from Psalm 51. It's where David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had killed Uriah, her husband. 
And after Nathan confronted him for his sin, he came in repentance to God. He wrote this psalm, Psalm 51. And in verses verses 3 to 4, he says this, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And then the quote from what he is using here, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David understood that his unfaithfulness did not negate God's faithfulness. That God was right to judge him. Yes, he was his child, but he should be judged for his sin. Schreiner says this, even though God had promised salvation to the Jews, no individual Jew could presume upon those promises and think that he or she was guaranteed salvation. God is still just and righteous when he judges sin among the Jews, for no individual is automatically granted God's covenantal mercies. No different than you growing up in the church did not make you right with God. You had to come in repentance before him. Not just mom and dad, you did. I pray that everyone here can say, yeah, I remember that day when I came to the Lord in repentance. Now I get it as you're like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm saved. I just don't know when that happened. Right? So that's okay too. Because I know sometimes you, people are like, I don't, like I'm a little, I, I just know him. I love him. I, I know, I get it. I've been saved because of my sin, but I don't know that exact hour or day. That's fine. But many of you do know the day or the hour. God is gracious. He's merciful. It says in Nehemiah 9, 32 and 33, Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the last time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. God, in his righteous character, he saves, but he also brings judgment. It is based on what we do with his word. Are we repentant? For our sin, or do we just think God should forgive us because of our upbringing? In their case, because they were Jewish. God has been faithful. God was faithful to the Israelites over and over again to bring them to hardship. Why? So that they would repent and turn to Him and, and call upon Him and worship Him. And, and God will do that same thing in our lives. If you start straying and you are truly His child, He will bring hardship into your life so that you will repent and turn to him. If you don't have that experience in your life, I'm concerned about where you really are in your life with Christ. If you're walking in known sin and you have no conviction and you have no, you're like, I'm good. I'm concerned about where you would really be at. Just as Paul is concerned about the Jewish people. It's important that we understand the character of God. The Jewish people thought that because they were his people, that they would condemn the sins of the Gentiles, but they would not condemn them their sins because they were his kids. Well, they're not really, not really, not, sorry, they were really not his kids. 
They just called themselves his kids. They never really followed him. They never really used his book. They never understood who he truly was. But God is faithful. It's popular today to think that we can get into heaven. I talked about this last week based on our church attendance or just being a good person. I just heard a testimony of someone yesterday was just saying like they had an opportunity just at the end to share with a relative. This was years back. But, you know, they were just like, hey, repent. Like if you just ask him, for, I know you only have hours left to live, but if you just asked him for forgiveness today, he would forgive you and you could have eternal life with him. Their response, I think I'm good enough. I think I've done enough. Like, how tragic is that? But how many people think that? And sadly, it could be amongst this group where we're just like, yeah, I'm good enough. I, I, you know, I, I go to church. Or, or a popular thing in, in, well, I don't know how popular it is now, but it has been where I went to that crusade. I went forward. They, I signed the little paper. They said, I'm saved now. So I'm good. I got the piece of paper. I mean, I've never really done anything with my life since that day, but I got the little piece of paper. You, what, are you, what are you resting your hope in? Do you really understand who God is and that he has to judge sin? And that the only way to avoid that is through Jesus Christ. The character of God is so important for you and I to understand. In your study of the word of God, think about that. What is this telling me about who God is? In these hours of trial that we're going through right now, your understanding of God is going to either break you or make you. Like if you think that God's job is just to bring blessing to you all the time and, and you, for you to have no trials in your life, then you're not gonna go, it's not going to go well for you. Because that's not who God is. He is a faithful, loving, heavenly Father. But he said, in this world you will have trouble. So our understanding is really important. So what do I need to do? I, I need to read the word. I, I need to be in prayer. I need to ask the Spirit of God to continually enlighten my heart and mind so that I can understand the things of Him. And then it's okay to read books about theology. Isn't that just for people that go to seminary? Isn't that? It's not. Because theology is what? It's the study of God. So there's some really, really good books out there that can help us to grow in understanding of him. If you, you know, maybe flip through it, and if you need a dictionary for like every three seconds, then maybe add, start with another book, right? But there's a lot of great things to help us grow in our knowledge of him. So can I just encourage you with that too, that, that, that as you're seeking clarity in, in, in your faith, that you, would, that you would study and understand more of our, who our great God is. I'll tell you just personally, there's no way that I would have gotten through our greatest trial in our life, which was it's the, what we went through with hope. I never would have got through that time without understanding the character of God. There is no way. If I didn't understand that he was on the throne continually and sovereign over every single thing in my life, including my daughter having a brain injury, I, I don't think I could have made it. I, I know I wouldn't have. If I didn't understand that his faithfulness is great, that his love is steadfast, that his mercies are new every morning, like there's no way. There's no way. 
So, so can I just encourage you in that? Just like when he says that, that when the storms come, the person who reads his words and then lives by them, that they make it through that time, like that's the key. Understanding who your God is is so important. So just in light of, I, I, you know, I, like I said at the beginning, we, well, we all probably had a really crazy week, like, but that's, that's where it starts, our understanding of him. That's how we get through day after day. We're all locked down again in two weeks from now. I don't like it's keeping our eyes on him. That's gonna be the key. And in our continual growing through this time and submitting to his sovereignty in our lives. So he answers their question about God's faithfulness. No, he's always faithful. I, I, the interesting is we look at these, he's like, the problem's with you. The, not, the problem's not with God. And he's gonna say that one more time here. Am I clear on God's required judgment? Am I clear on God's required judgment? Verse 5, but if our unrighteousness, so they're kind of following, okay, so, so, so if our unrighteousness sur- serves to show the righteousness of God, this is coming out of verse 4, like you know, David is saying God is right and it's, he's showing to be right based on the fact that God is judging us for his sin. So they're saying, well, if our unrighteousness sh- serves to show the unrighteousness of God, What shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? And he says, I speak in a human way. In other words, this is not God's argument for sure. Right? But this is an argument I've heard. Oh, 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 I get it. So God is glorified. He's made much of when I sin. Well, then I guess what? Why is God getting so upset about my sin then? It's just bringing more glory to him. Like why, why would he bring his wrath on us if it's only serving to highlight who he is? The more unrighteous the sinner, the more righteous God looks, right? Only shines his character that much brighter. Voice says this, if our unrighteousness or sin is the necessary background against which God displays his wisdom, love, and mercy and salvation, how can God judge us for what therefore obviously has a good end? MacArthur illustrated it as, a, you know, when you go to a jewelry store, what do they do? They, they take the, you know, the jewelry, right? And they put it across what? Not across your hand, they put it across a black background so it's like it shines brighter, right? Well, so if my sin's making him shine brighter, if, if that's the case, then what's the big deal about my sin? And why are they saying this? They're, they're, they're trying to catch Paul in, in what he's saying. Because for the Jew, we're like, we're good law-abiding people. We live good lives, Paul. We're earning our way into heaven. We, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, we, we've fallen short. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're, you're the kind of person that says that, oh, I guess we can just go ahead and sin because, you know, it, it shows God's righteousness. But that's not biblical thinking. He said that you're thinking in a human way. Note how he responds again in verse 6. By no means. Fired up, why? Because they have just implied that God is unrighteous. 
Is that true of God? No, He is righteous. He is faithful. He is true every time. For then how could God judge the world? Listen, you Jewish people, again, context, Jewish people, God is the judge of the world. They believe that. Our context today, we're all going to heaven. Not their context. They believe that God is the judge of the world and he is being faithful to make sure that all the Gentiles go to hell. That was what they believed, right? And we get to go to heaven. But he's saying, listen, if God is the judge of the world, then he would be an heir not to judge us for our sin. God is righteous in judging sin. Again, the, judge, the, the Jews should have known this, right? There's nowhere in the Old Testament where God encourages people to sin so that he might bring more glory to himself. God has made it clear from the beginning that he hates sin and is opposed to it, and they should have known that. Every time they chose to walk in sin and rebellion, he brought judgment. His glory does not excuse sin ever. This is, he continues this line of thought, verse 7, but if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. His grace is not an excuse to sin. We need to hear that. His grace is not an excuse to sin, even though that's what they're saying. In other words, getting to the right place, God's, God's glory, the wrong way by man's sin can never be justified. Ever. Now, now think about the Jewish perspective. Paul, you're saying that it is by grace that we are saved through faith? Well, I guess then we can just do whatever we want. All glory to God. Now, it's called antinomianism. I'm terrible with words. How did I become a preacher? <laughs> only by God's grace. Only by his calling. But, but this idea, I can do whatever I want to do, infiltrated even the early church, right? You think about the church in Corinth. Man, they were messed up. 1 Corinthians 5, they're like, oh, yeah, well, look at how gracious we are. And this guy's like in like gross, immoral sin. And, 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 and Paul's like, what are you doing? Like, that guy needs to be out of your church because he's walking in known sin. Like, push him out so that he would repent of his sin, that he would understand that you can't just live however you want. Bruce says this, the gospel of justification by faith apart from works of righteousness, has always been called forth with this criticism. But the criticism is amply refuted by the fact that the same gospel insists unequivocally on the fruits of righteousness which follow justification. In other words, there needs to be evidence that your heart truly has changed by a changed life, a changed direction, no longer openly walking in my sin, but repentant over my sin. God's grace is something that we can all be tempted to take for granted. I mean, let's just think about this last week. Did you have an occasion where you're like, I know I shouldn't do this, but God will forgive. 
I know I forgive. Like that, we have to be so on guard against that attitude in our lives. Because if you continue in that, your heart is going to get harder and harder towards sin. You're not going to think of sin the way God thinks of sin. God hates sin. He sent his son to die for sin. I, I had someone tell me one time that God's kindness leads them to repentance. But God had not yet led them to repentance. So God's grace was going to cover their sin until maybe one day God would cause them to repent. Still not going well for that person. It's interesting, the whole David and Bathsheba thing here. I, I don't know how many times people have told me, well, it worked out for David. His sin of adultery worked out for David. I've used that illustration here before, so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go back to 2 Samuel in, in, in chapter 12, verses 9 through 14, and, and I'm just going to read those verses for you. You tell me if it worked out for David. 2 Samuel 12, 9 through 14. Why, this is Nathan in his uh, rebuke of David. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you've despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Then came to fruition. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. Happened. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. David did not get away with his sin. And, and, and anyone here this morning who thinks that you can just kind of get away with sin and God is okay with it, it he's never okay with it. He will judge us for our sin. And we need to be warned by that. And he will discipline us. If you are, we are his kids, he's going to discipline you. And discipline is never a good thing at the moment. It's good for our souls, but the consequences are great. Paul's response to anyone who would condone sinning so that God might be glorified their condemnation is just. It really? You think that's a good way to think? That you can just sin away and God's going to be glorified? Well, your condemnation is just. It's right that God would condemn you for such a heart and mind as that. No good results can justify the encouragement of evil. It is self-evident, it's so self-evident that Paul at this point does not take time to talk about it any further. He's just like, I'm not even going to talk about that anymore. 
your condemnation is just. Until chapter 6. And then he's going to talk about a lot more. Okay? But this is succinct. All right, so what, how are you doing on clarity? You think about these things. Are you, do you understand the Word of God as you ought? Do you understand His character? Do you understand His righteous judgment against sin? Do you hate sin as He hates sin? Really important that we do. So that you and I then can go out into the world and tell people about Him. Uh, there's so much we can learn from Paul, even in the way that he answers them back. He listens to every rebuttal. He's answered every question. He would, when he was at the synagogue, he would spend time there until finally they would boot him out, and he was like, okay, going on to the Gentiles now, right? But he would answer carefully, and he, he would answer them according to what God's Word says. That's a great word for you and I. Not to get frustrated, but to be patient and loving and listen to their questions, even their gotcha questions, right? If you don't freak out about their gotcha questions, they're going to stick around, right? So you listen, you love them, you point them to the character of God and who He is. Even Stott says here, what did Paul do in regards to that? He reaffirmed God's covenant as having abiding value, God's faithfulness to his promises, God's justice as judge, and God's true glory, which is promoted only by good, never by evil. And so we need to engage people, listening to their questions, pointing them to the character of God, pointing them to the hope of the gospel over and over and over again. When they give you the gotcha questions, Listen, answer, but then get back to the gospel, right? Like that whole six-day creation thing. Yeah, great question. I, you know, that's just the way he did it. He, you're right. He could have just spoken into existence like, like that, but he did it in six days. There's a little bit about the Sabbath there, and we could talk about that, but can I tell you again about Jesus and what he's done for your sins, right? Like you want to get back to that as quickly as possible. And I just, can I just say this? Don't be afraid of the gotcha questions. Sometimes I feel like we don't share because we're scared of what someone might ask us. But don't be afraid. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. You have the Word of God. And you have the body of Christ. So if you don't know the answer, you can say, great question. I'm going to ask my brother or sister in Christ about that. And I'll get back to you. Right? God is faithful. God is good. May he use us for his glory and for his honor. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for this time together this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity that it brings us. God, without your word, we would be lost. God, we would have no hope. But God, you have given us your word. You have revealed yourself not only through your word, but you revealed yourself through Jesus Christ. God, we are so thankful that even though we stood condemned in our sin, that, Lord, you made a way that we might be forgiven. God, thank you for your love for us. A love that is steadfast. A love that is sacrificial, full of grace and mercy and compassion. 
God, I even think this morning how your compassion might be that you're convicting us of sin in our lives. That you're showing us where we're falling short. God, thank you that you're a faithful Father who does that. God, help us to respond in a way that would bring you honor and glory. Help us to walk in repentance. Help us to walk in faithfulness to you. God, help us to grow in our love and knowledge of you each and every day so that we might represent you well to this lost and dying world. For the glory and honor of your name. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.